Okay, let's do it. All right. Sounds good. Um, welcome to the Shores of Ignorance, Michael Vaclav. Hey, it's Matt. Yeah, we're uh, here today with Allison Vaclav, a very sexy, lovely, interesting, <laughs> amazing lady. Um, biased. Biased. <laughs> yes, I am. I agree. Can I agree? You can agree too. <laughs> I mean, I agree. <laughs> yes, you can. Is that weird? Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, a stranger out of is a dream that you to make real. So glad you're here, Allison. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Um, I'm feeling pretty self-conscious right now. I'll yeah. tell you that. The headphones will do that to you. Yeah. I think I'll get. I think I'll get used to it. Yeah. Just drink a little bit more whiskey. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna take it slow. <laughs> well, besides uh, me, I think Allison probably listens to it first or third out of us. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. The day it uh-huh. comes out, I always get a text from you, and then Allison, <laughs> and then my mom usually. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm a fan. I'm like the biggest fan. It's awesome. I'm, I'm fangirling just a little bit on the inside right now. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm Maybe I can get lucky tonight. I don't know. <laughs> okay, you two are going to have to like oh, chill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, this is PG-13. Sort of. Mm-hmm. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. Right. Well, I did want to say, address the listeners for just a moment. Ooh. Let everyone know hmm. that I am just a normal person what? i am not super smart like you do <laughs> Half, i mean honestly like i love your conversations but a lot of times i'm like whoa a little over my head so i'm gonna keep it real i'm gonna help help, help it stay down here stay down here <laughs> yeah i'm gonna stay down here so yeah that's what you usually do what do you mean well michael and i have these conversations on and off podcast and and during evenings it with during which I find myself at y'all's place sitting on the mm-hmm. back porch and you'll come out and join our conversation and you just sort of ground mm-hmm. the whole experience, not just logically or philosophically, but almost like spiritually you ground mm-hmm. the area in a way that's so pleasant. Oh, that's interesting and fascinating. I've never had that feedback <laughs> from someone, but I like it. I like, I like um, hearing how people experience me, I guess. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons for it. I mean, partly like you know Michael really well. Have we told the podcast listeners oh. that you two oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. are uh, man and wife of 17 years? Is that right? 17 years. Yep. All right. Yeah, 17 years. Mm-hmm. You, there was a question mark in yeah. your head about yeah. that. You're like, I'll go like with it. 17 and a half, you know? <laughs> well, you just kind of, I don't know, 15, yeah. 17, whatever. whatever. Uh-huh. Long time. Long time. We have uh, five kids. Allison has birthed five kids. That's yeah. un- like blows my mind. I know. Me too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what did I just do? Like my, both of my parents came from big families. My dad was one of six and my mom was one of eight. So like I knew women that had a bunch of kids, but they were my grandparents. They were old. Right. And it seemed more like a thing they did. Yeah. But you're just, you're like... I was going to say like me. Clearly you're not like me. I can't birth any children. But like we're the same age basically. And you've had all, like you've, you've grown five humans. I know. Who, who I know. I know all of these humans. 
know. It's weird. It's weird. But then I meet women fairly often that have more kids than I do. And I have the same feeling that you have. I'm like, what? You have eight. You have nine kids. That's not so common, though. You often meet women that have eight or nine kids? I mean, okay, not often, but I meet them in person. Like, there's some at our school or at the kids' school. Yeah. There's some. And in the birth, I'm in the birth world, too, so... I think it's right. Prob- maybe I'm more exposed to women who like to birth. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Do you? Would you? Would you have another? No. <laughs> <laughs> For sure not. Uh-uh. Um, I remember when, like, we were in the process of having all the kids. My girlfriends would have their, you know, their second or their third, and be like, "Whew, okay, I'm done. I'm so done," and. I kept wondering, like, why I didn't have that feeling. Hmm. I never had that feeling. I was just like, well, hmm, I kind of like it. It's crazy. But then Hazel was born, our last. Like, when she was born, our fifth, I was like, ooh, that's it. We're complete. Our family. Like, this is us. Boom. Like, this is us. So it was less a feeling of you being done having kids and more of, like, a feeling of you've arrived at a completeness. Mm -hmm. It felt like our family was whole. That's cool. At that point, and I never felt that until she was born. Hmm. Um, I mean, if I got pregnant, it'd be fine, but I'm like so happy to be out of the baby toddler season. Yeah. And I'm reminded of that weekly working with the moms postpartum. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so glad to be done with that. When Hazel, your youngest, was born, uh, I guess when you were in labor or, so, or, or just right around that time, we. Uh, kept two of your kids for a weekend. Mm-hmm. So it was my three kids plus two of yours. Mm-hmm. And we were walking around town going and doing things. And it was like everywhere we went, people were like pointing at us and coming up and talking to us just like by the sheer. Cause your kid, our kids look very similar. <laughs> so it was like, I got a taste of what y'all's everyday life is like now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Especially we're... Evelyn and, uh, and Hannah, they could be definitely could be sisters. Yeah. Really Twins. Uh-huh, totally. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah we're a spectacle. Whenever we go out and about, we're mm-hmm. for sure a spectacle. A beautiful one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think we're interesting to people. Like you just don't see a bunch of kids and a mom like traipsing around the neighborhood and yeah, yeah, whatever. So yeah, like we said, it's not super common. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not super. Well, okay, so I feel like less of a spectacle on the east side. Like yeah. when we moved over there, like lots of there's lots of kids, lots of everywhere. bigger families, and I feel like oh, we kind of actually fit in more hmm. on the east side just because there's more children just out and about and around and. Yeah, cause we live more in the urban core when, when we first were having kids, and so it's definitely more of like kind of working, uh, working people and having one or two kids like later on in life and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, we we're always the youngest in our our uh uh our friends friends group besides like you know you guys you know it's like um but definitely like most of the people are a little bit older as far as like having kids and stuff yeah but right. yeah but i do remember uh, with emerson you were like nope no more <laughs> was that yeah hmm. but then a year later you're like well hey michael what do you think about it? i was like all right because <laughs> you've always kind of been down i feel like you've told me before that you'd yeah. have more than five 
Well, I, if, I mean, if Allison wanted to, I'd be fine with it, but I'm totally fine with not to. So yeah. I don't really have a, uh, I'm really happy with our stage of life right now. Like Allison, I can come do this and not have to babysit her. Mm-hmm. We can go out. Uh, yeah, it's a, there's a lot more freedom. So it's like 11 yeah. years of diapers is uh, <laughs> really uh, good to be done with. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> but I think you're unusual in that, in your willingness to be like, yeah, whatever, however yeah. many. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's super common. But we've also had really good experiences. I mean, we haven't had a lot of. That's true. We haven't. We didn't have any really hard births, or you know, besides your normal hard birth, <laughs> but right. nothing that was uh, like out of the ordinary you know right so i mean i think that was also helpful we had really good experiences mm-hmm. and, but it was, it was fun to see like allison go through maybe interesting maybe share some of your experience with this but from my point of view um seeing you understand your body um from the first kid to the fifth and like mm-hmm. the first one you know it's it, looking back it's easy to see this but like it seemed like there's a lot more confusion, you know, about what was happening. And then with the first, uh, with the first kid. Yeah. yeah. Like in the actual birth, in the actual birth. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, uh, uh, and then by the second, it was like, I was like, I kind of saw you kind of like be able to listen to your body and understand like what it is telling you what it's needing. And that whole concept, I forgot who told us this, but, uh, to, but I remember I, I, I repeat that over to you over and over again as far as you know being there. I was like, let your body do what it's supposed to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was something that I saw, like you, like I'm letting my body do what it's supposed to do in the situation, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was cool to see progress over time. Whereas by the fourth and fifth, it was sort of like. You almost kind of got the, I mean, I know it was a lot of work for you, <laughs> but it's like, it was, it, it became more and more enjoyable to be present. It's like you could be mm-hmm. present, um, and not just be afraid or, you know, Oh, Allison's in pain or, you know, any of those sort of maybe right. reactions. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for all moms, the first time you're going through, it's just completely surreal. There's no... There's no way to, I mean, you can read birth stories and those are helpful, but I mean, until you've been having an event like that happen in your body mm-hmm. and how do you trust that your body can do that? And you just have to rely on history and the fact that there are 7 billion humans, like yeah. we birth things, <laughs> we birth babies, like I can do this. Um yeah, yeah, I mean, so much of it has to do with like you're feeling safe, mm. and I, which is super hard to do when you're experiencing something that's new to you, right? A- and it's something that you can't really like transmit the knowledge of what it is and what it's about through any other thing than experience, right? I mean, as a as a doula, uh, you know, you try and impart this that courage like that trust like a woman can you can you can't actually trust your body um but you also don't want to terrify people I'm like you actually have no idea what your body's going to do right. and we have no no control over this process like yes there are some patterns that are predictable but i mean labor every birth is its own story and it's going to going to be really intense no matter what and 
yeah, so even, even without the pain, it seems like there's an intensity to it. I mean, you're bringing a person into the world. That's an intense thing to experience. I mean, it's, a, it's, it was intense for me to see my kids born mm-hmm. and I wasn't feeling any pain. Yeah. You guys had home births. For two. Yeah. Two right. of them were at home. Yeah. I never did that. You didn't. I, I never, I never knew, but I guess I assumed you probably did. Mm-mm. No. Um, I wanted to be in the hospital for the first time because that felt safe. And I had a really positive experience mm-hmm. at the hospital. And then with all the subsequent ones, I did not want to be at home. I did not want to... Like, I wanted the privacy of... It's, it's ironic, privacy. It's like pri- <laughs> the hospital is not private. <laughs> privacy of a building full of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I, I go so I'm um, go so internal when I'm in labor and birth and having disruptions, but like another my other child in the room is a disruption I cannot ignore. Like oh yeah, I don't think you could do it with your kids there. But people do. some people do. Some people yeah, do. I don't know. It's messed up to me though. Like I've watched a lot of home births on video, like preparing for the home births that we had, mm-hmm. and it's like. There's couples in a birthing tub with one or two other kids while this other kid's being born, and A, just gross. <laughs> but B, like, yeah, you can't take care of a toddler while you're trying to have another, like, literally have another kid. It, it happens, But though. people have all kinds of weird boundaries. I mean, I think- some families all sleep in the same bed, and they're, con- like, uh. conceiving a new kid with another kid in the bed. <laughs> so I guess why can't you give birth to one with a kid in the pool? I don't know. Yeah. Well, but I think it could also have to do with how, like, each person's personality. Like, one person's ultimate experience of feeling love and support is to have their entire family, like, around. Ah, yeah. this is, you know, like... Derek or mm-hmm. people who are like fed by a sense of togetherness mm-hmm. and that makes them feel loved and that feels safe. Um, but I'm definitely more of like an intimate one-on-one person. And so for me, like, no, I don't want anybody that I, in my realm, I don't want to have to care about anybody except for Michael. I just, <laughs> I just need Michael. Yeah. And if he like left my side, I would lose my shit. Like it was, it was awful to not have him like right there. Did you have a doula or did you go straight OB? That was a doula mom. Doula (laughs) mom. Michael was my doula. Um, No, I didn't even know what a doula was until like my third kid. I'd never heard of one. Hmm. And then by that point I was like, I got this. I'm fine. (laughs) I got got Michael. Um, It's a walk in the park. Yeah. And it, but funny though, Hazel's birth was the hardest hmm. because it was uh, super fast. It was three hours start to finish, and that was awful. And Just awful in terms of the intensity of the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, so much is happening physiologically and psychologically and to have all of that compressed into like a few hours. And then also, I mean, I, I feel like I made some mistakes too and not listening to myself um, and like going to the hospital like immediately. I should, but you, so you're like, your body's having all this massive activity and then mm-hmm. you're having to like sign papers in the hospital and it, yeah. it was just super messed up. But yeah, can't you just do that afterwards? 
You would think. Yeah. You would think. I mean, I think the baby's head would literally have to be like hanging out of your, <laughs> <laughs> your bottom for them to not put some kind of paper in your face. But Michael was super key in that because, you know, she was trying to get me to do all these different positions to push Hazel out. And I just could not get settled. I couldn't, I just had, was didn't have time to find my like Zen mm. place that I have always had gone to. Um, so the midwife kept switching me around, and finally Michael was like, babe, do it like you've always done it. <laughs> and I was like, right, right. <laughs> Get out of my way. <laughs> right, V-Force. <laughs> and I just literally just like started pushing. Something snapped. So it was awful in the sense of it was so fast, but with her, I felt like I accessed a type of um, like deeper kind of ancient power that I hadn't with the other ones. Because hmm. I literally was like, she's getting out of me now. And I was not going to stop pushing until she came out. Ancient power. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt really primal. Hmm. Like very, very primal. See, I wonder if that's something that men can experience in some other way. Like I've heard women talk about that, but I, I, that doesn't feel available for me to tap somehow. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I, 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 the only thing I would... Maybe think about his war, you know, mm. but I don't know if that's really there's something very primal about that. I don't know if that's that sort of the camaraderie and the the brotherhood, yeah, and, maybe or maybe just even fighting in general, yeah, uh, hunting, hunting, would it not hunting like we do it now, sitting in a blind, <laughs> yeah, that could be like if, yeah, if it was more of like a more of a primal hunting moment with like a spear, mm-hmm. and you could be killed. Yeah, there yeah. has to be danger. Yeah, it does seem like like the possibility of death would ha- has to be high or something like that. Yeah, I would guess. I mean, you think about birth too for you know thousands of years. I mean, the possibility of death was fairly high. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, lots more baby side and women. Um, I, I remember reading this one proverb in my birth journal. It said, "Childbirth." is for women what war is for men. Oh, there you go. And I was like, ah, we get the better deal because we get to make life. (laughs) War is kind of about destroying it. Isn't that weird? (laughs) But I do think that we, the analogy holds in that you're changed. Mm -hmm. You're changed. Yeah. Um, Spiritually, physically, mentally, you carry scars. It just occurred to me, that's interesting. I mean, those two things are listed as the male and female curse Mm -hmm. during the fall. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I wonder what what is that? Yeah, it's hard. It, it, It seems like we're... We're kind of really far from a lot... Some of those ideas in, in modern... In our modern world, because it's... I mean, that's something that today, unless you are, I think World War II, after that, we don't really have a lot of understanding besides maybe our soldiers in other countries and, you know, soldiers in other places. But most people don't experience that, that idea of protecting your home or your land or whatever it might be. Like, we're not afraid San Marcos is going to attack Austin or, mm-hmm. you know, that we don't have a really high degree where, you know, in some countries that there is that, like, like the tribe next door could come in and kill us, you know, or the country next or the door. Country next door. Yeah. Um, 
And that's a really, uh, that's, 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 that's true. We don't have an immediate an immediate experience of that, or we haven't since World War II. We've had mm-hmm. wars, but we don't have that. They don't pose any danger to us directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Mexico and Canada aren't really a huge, you know, uh, threat as far as war, and we, we mm-hmm. aren't to them. And oh. Well, but, like, going back to the idea of ancient, like, I mean, have you guys, have y'all ever had an experience of feeling connected to something ancient something hmm. in dreams hmm dreams yeah okay that's interesting yeah how so hmm <coughs> I, um, I often have dreams that I think are symbolic of something lost to me through my ancestors through hmm. the loss of my ancestors um like something, some, something that needed to be passed down or that I wished was passed down that wasn't, or maybe mm-hmm. accessing something that was passed down, but I don't have sort of direct access to it. It's encoded in my DNA somehow. Mm-hmm. These things will come out as sort of directional hopes and aspirations in my dream, in my dreams through symbols, yeah. through uh, imagery and story. Wow. Often, for a while, I had a recurring dream about an attic space hmm. above a house that my grandfather used to live in. And there was, I would go up into the attic space and discover this space. And I had sort of seen this space before. So when I came into it, I was like, oh, this space. And I looked around, there's all this stuff around that had some like importance to me that like, as soon as I saw it, I remembered it. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like you don't, there are things that you don't think about that you're very familiar with, but you don't think about them at all. And then all of a sudden you see them and it fills some key in your existence somehow. I don't, I wish I had a good example of that, but, um, but it's like, there's all these things scattered around this attic that belonged to my family or my grandfather. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm so glad these are still here. And, and then there was all these people everywhere that were, uh, um, like staying there in the attic. Like they weren't supposed to be there. They were, um, what's the word? Uh, crouching, squatting, squatting, squatting. That's it. Crouching. Uh, crouching's the new squatting. (laughs) So they're, they're squatting and I got really upset and Hmm. picked up this broom in the corner and I was trying to get them out of there, shoo them literally with this broom. And it sort of turned into this fight and they started grabbing things and trying to run and I was trying to stop them and I just felt so wildly stressed out and I woke up and I just thought like, there's something I need, like some, some amount of like emotional information that I need from my family, whether it's my parents or, but even more so I think what I'm feeling is like, with the loss of grandparents, loss of their grandparents, there's there's this like story that has been passed down that's somehow incomplete. Mm-hmm. There's pieces of it left somewhere. And if you don't work at finding those and keep safe the ones that you do, then they can be taken, taken from you. Mm-hmm. And maybe like I, I'd make a relational tie with that. Like when I talk about working about working to keep things safe, you know, maybe like actionably that is working to keep relationships within your family because part of whatever that story is, I've got a little bit of it, but so does my sister. So does my brother. 
They've got other little parts of it. Right. My parents' parent uh, siblings have other little parts of it. And the more your family goes out in different directions, the more that story dilutes out into mm-hmm. the world. Right. Well, and it relates, I mean, you guys were talking about that last week of, um, like, the demise of oral tradition. Hmm. And that's, I feel like that's where those pieces would have been, like the river that they would have flowed down. Mm-hmm. And then with the loss of that, you know, and then your family's ability to document in whatever form, it's like, well, I imagine some families were able to document and some weren't. And then it's lost yeah, in a way. I don't know. But I do think it's really significant, like yeah. the generational inheritance and story. I just, thinking about that, about that documentation, I... I remember when my son, my oldest son, he's 13 now, he was maybe four or five, and we'd gone on a camping trip. And my mom took a picture, and it was my dad and me and my son, and we're sitting in these chairs around this campfire, and all seated body language in the exact same way. <laughs> like, arms, hands relaxed in the same way, legs folded in the same way, bodies pointing the same direction, like, freaky. Unposed, though. It was just naturally Unposed. It was just like, we were sitting there, Uh, and Mom just snapped a picture. And and I think it hit me so hard. I was like, genetics are wild. Yeah. And if my son's that way because I'm that way, and I'm that way because my dad's that way, my dad's that way because his dad was that way, what else is locked up there further up that family tree that is, like, manifested in my life right now that I don't even know about yeah. and what meaning would my life take on if I understood what more why I am the way that I am based upon knowing these people that made me right Ooh. yeah that's deep waters yeah but you can't and no one can mm-hmm. you know um. well there's that thing with like um, <clears throat> it talks about there's there's this idea of and I, I won't get this right but um it's sort of like the superpowers in Marvel comics. Like until someone is in a stressful situation, it unlocks a certain superpower. And supposedly some, our genes are very similar to that, that same thing too. It's like a certain amount of stress also activates certain parts of us that are kind of dormant. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, I think some sit like synapses firing and stuff like that. So I think there's something about like what we pass on and, and, um, uh, you know, memes, memes and genes is kind of how Dawkins puts it. You know, it's like you have a certain genetic information, but then you also have this certain, uh, whether it be oral tradition or, um, stories that you, you pass on to, um, things we build and, and stuff. So, uh, there's a lot of ways that that's passed on. It's like, and how your genes also express, express themselves and yeah. stuff. Um, well, I think that's what I was talking about. It's like the way things pass themselves on, it's not just through story. It's not mm-hmm. just through documentation or even photographs. It's like through these little in-between movements of our hands or twitches of our eyes mm-hmm. or your, your, who you are. It's all these super subtle things that you get. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, explain Dawkins' concept of meme? Because I didn't realize until recently that he coined that term. And yeah. what we know or what we think of a, as a meme mm-hmm. is... Not like it's applicable to his definition of it, but it's mm-hmm. not ex- at all the same. Oh, dude. Uh, I, I, for me to put a, like a, an actual definition on it, but a meme is, is 
something that we express, um, shoot. Uh, this is one of the areas I'm like in the middle of studying. So I, I don't think I could really, um, I haven't read the, cause you just yeah. read the selfish gene mm-hmm. and you're now reading, uh, phenotypes. Phenotype, yeah. Extended phenotype. Extended phenotype. Mm-hmm. Is it extended phenotype? Mm-hmm. The extended phenotype? <laughs> I don't know. What's the name of the book? <laughs> no, I left it there. Okay. So. so what I understand of it and maybe we'll Google it and read it just so we get it right. But mm-hmm. is that a meme is some kind of information that is encoded within the current culture. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I would relate it to sort of, it's like almost a part of the zeitgeist. Yep. Um, but it's like transmittable. You can transmit the meme between one another. Um, okay. Now I'm kind of reaching. You looking it up? Yeah. I'm looking okay. it up. <laughs> Uh, Dawkins likened the process by which memes survive and change to the evolution of culture and the natural selection of genes of biological evolution. Dawkins defined the meme as a unit of cultural transmission, a unit of imitation and replication. Hmm. Imitation and replication. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it ties into the definition of the word as we know it now, mm-hmm. is that a meme is anything that is imitable or rec- replicable. Mm-hmm. So you... You take what someone else did and you change something slightly. Mm-hmm. So it still ties into the original meaning, but takes on a new light, usually for comedic purposes. Mm-hmm. And it continues on down the line till the next person picks it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's absolutely fascinating. I think so. But it, it, it also ties into, uh, uh, again, uh, like so memes are, there's also, uh, you know, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Well, in Maps of Meaning, it, there's a, Peterson talks about uh, procedural memory, uh, episodic memory, and uh, semantic memory. And so, like, the most basic part of us is our, um, our procedural memory that has to do with creative behavior and then imitation. So it's like, say we do something and something passes on to um, another group or another person and that person imitates whatever that was, but it's procedural memory, which mm-hmm. is not, there's not, there's not explanation to it. There's not a story to it. You're just repeating what something someone had done and it's Would either that, successful or it's not successful. Is that by, is that like a conscious thing? Procedural memory? Like, would it be like, I teach my kid how to tie their shoe, you know, mm-hmm. step one, you pull the tongue out, you, you know, stick your foot in, pull it up on the heel. Mm-hmm. Cause that's hard for them at first. They don't know how to do it. And you yeah. teach them these steps and then you teach them how to tie the laces. This, you know, first you make this loop and then mm-hmm. you tie this one around this one, stick your thumb through, pull the thing. I don't know the story about the bunny. I didn't ever use that when I was raising my kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, is that what that is? Procedural memory. So then they get that. Mm-hmm. And then now that's sort of, yeah, it gets, yeah, that's, that's kind of actually even further on. Okay. Uh, like procedural memory is, is something that's unthought of. So like you can like turn something that you learn into back into sort of procedural that you just do, uh, by, um, almost by instinct. It's almost like you have kind of an instinctual level, which, which you can almost think of it as like procedural memories. Again, I'm, I'm making a loose connection here. Procedural memory is, is associated to almost instinct. Uh, okay. Episodic memory is kind of closely, tied to like emotions and feelings like it's communicating a story but it's, it's not it's not like facts and stuff like that it's, it's a story that's it's bigger than just 
Um, and then you have semantic, which kind of is more of your thinking, more of your uh, uh, intellectual, you know, where you have philosophy, rationalization, uh, empiricism. Semantics uh, meaning the meaning of things. Mm-hmm. What is this this procedure or this episodic mm-hmm. defining mean. defining stuff? And Peterson will put it like it's nested stories. So you have like you, the bigger story is your is the procedural memory aspect, which is sort of like that's kind of where you meet chaos or that's kind of where chaos is or it's the at the edge of chaos um, but then you kind of come into episodic memory which is where you're kind of making sense out of that chaos you're giving it a story hmm. but it's in it's it's a smaller circle within that procedural memory inside of chaos you know and then inside that circle of of uh um episodic memory you have semantic memory so it's actually it's a nested story that's inside those three things so sometimes in our western culture we look at we almost put semantics the semantic memory almost at a, at a larger extent than what it actually is uh, because it's safe and it defines things and it keeps us within a realm of 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 a defined reality that we can kind of hide in or nest in or um uh, uh that's that's comfortable, you know, but as you get into story, it's, you're starting to kind of open up into something that's a little bit less explainable. And then the procedural memory, I think that's where we really experience other. You know? Would the procedural memory be sort of like your, your experience of ancient power? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, surely, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, y'all got up in that area, <laughs> and I was like, oh, "Have a sip, just listen." <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, probably. Yeah. I mean, I was the example that I was wondering about is um, like when I'm social dancing, hmm. and I just see someone do a thing, and I'm like, "Hmm, I'm gonna try that," <laughs> and then I try it, and it uh, works or it doesn't work. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Is that procedural memory or is that one yeah. of the other ones? Well, you're imitating. I mean, there's, right. you saw something and you imitate it and then you felt it. I wasn't explicitly taught it. You weren't explicitly hmm. taught it. And so as you feel it, then you start kind of adding to it and it starts to take on meaning for you because you're you're actually understanding, you know, as you improve, I've heard you talk it this way of like, as you've improved, like the guy who uh, picked you up and slid you down his leg and he landed, he was like, he was like, oh, and then you go into a split and you're like, oh. And it made a lot of sense and it made right. sense to you. And then the next time he did it, it's like, boom, and you landed it and nailed it. It's like, right. so it's like, you kind of, you know, you, you, you kind of turned, turned into yeah, a Allison story. Has always like, been a, well, I just want to explain for everybody that Allison has <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, just recently gotten pretty heavy into the world of dance. Yeah. Back into it. Back into back it. Because yeah, yeah. you used to dance and then mm-hmm. life happened and mm-hmm. you didn't for a while. Mm-hmm. And then now you've been social dancing and suddenly you are being pulled into the world of professional dancing. Yeah, you know, that's probably a step beyond what is true. But <laughs> she's yeah, humble. No. She, she's, she's been like over the last year and a half, uh, she was a dancer in college and even mm. in uh, high school and as a kid. And that stepped away for a while and has gotten back into it. And she's now she's on the semi-pro team and dances with uh, another team and yeah. is going to do some other things. Yeah, I think it's amazing. <laughs> I, I just did a deep dive right back into dance. It's great. Uh, yeah, it's so it. good. Yeah. Hints, jumps, and splits and uh-huh. things. Yeah. So why did you get back into it now? Like, why now? 
Um, good question. Long answer. Wow, we got time. to that. <laughs> um, okay, where do I? I'm like, where do I even begin with that? I so I look, let me back up. Why I stopped dancing? Because oh, um, I danced from like age three to twenty one every year of my life. I danced. I was the little girl who would only wear skirts because skirts twirl <laughs> and nothing else twirls like a skirt. So I'm going to wear a skirt and twirl. Um, so I feel like it's, I think it is an ancient part of me. I think it's part of my identity um, in a very spiritual, physical way. Um, I'm made, I'm made for movement. And so naturally I was drawn to that and I stayed with it. Um, but then in, in college, I got to a point where I was not super self-aware, which, side note, that's another question I'd like to come back to, because y'all talked a lot about that. It came up, that phrase, self-aware, came up a mm-hmm. lot in your last podcast, yeah. and I think it'd be interesting to, to, to discuss, like, what does that mean? Anyway, uh, in college, I was not, and I had so much of my um, identity invested in dancing, and then I had kind of a conversation with God, and basically he said, "Yes, you're a dancer, but if but you're also more, mm-hmm. and if you can't like basically hold that lightly, like set that down for a time, that I can't give you the rest. Like you know, you're hold, climbing a ladder. It's like you're holding on this rung. You can't go higher unless you let go of where you're at right now. So, um, so I made that decision to. Okay, what else? What else might there be for me? You felt like you had to let it go in order to make room for something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally had to like. It was either keep dancing or finish college. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I should. I had that experience in college too. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay, it's it's a super transformative time of life, right? Yeah. When you're trying to figure out who you are, and mm-hmm. um. Yeah, I was dancing full time, and then. Also, no, I'm kidding. I was like, wow, I didn't know that about you. Nah, you've been holding out <laughs> <I'm> on that. <laughs> you've been holding out. I can only dance with a guitar in my hand. <laughs> That's great. That counts. <clears throat> Continue. I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you yeah, with a joke. No, I just <laughs> couldn't help myself. Yeah, so I did, I did one last show in college, which Michael attended. I went to a lot of our shows. He went to a lot of my shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the one last performance and I was like, okay, that's it. I'm, that was my last one. I'm just going to hold my hands open and see what happens. And then not coincidentally, a month later, Michael and I started dating and. Well, that was also the show that I'd, I'd gone and seen her, uh, you know, in I think two or three, probably even more shows than that, but at least two or three other ones. And I also had like really good friends up to that point And, uh, and I was like, wow, she's actually really hot. <laughs> so it's it funny to like be friends and then be like, oh, wow, she's actually really hot. And that was the tango she show. She just came on like a light for you. Uh, like you just really saw did. her differently. You're like, wait a second. Wait, is that the same girl? <laughs> so it, it was funny like that. And that's kind of whenever I started like, huh, hmm, well, no, we're, we're friends. And that, that was the, that's kind of where that went. But it kept kind of coming back. I was like, well, yeah. maybe. Well, yeah. So, so it was, it was a very like immediate, like, okay, I'm going to set dance aside. I didn't feel like I had to 
I didn't feel like I was slaying that thing. It just felt like, oh, I'm going to, there's mm, more. The slay. I was like, well, what else is there? Mm-hmm. And, but then I met Michael and then we happened and then mm-hmm. babies happened and then Medici happened. And then 17 years later, I had just had not danced. Yeah, you hadn't. And it sort of came back like. It came back. Hard well, and fast, it seems. It really wasn't, though. It took like a year. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I feel like there were, I felt my heart being drawn back to it. Mm-hmm. I could get excited about f- different friends doing dance projects and music. And I remember Emily Boykin, you always liked, liked her stuff. Oh, you know, yeah. It's really beautiful stuff. And you were like, oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I just love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a friend of mine who I'd met through the birth world was doing these ballroom classes and posting about it on Facebook. And every time I saw that, I was like, oh, you're so beautiful, Jane. Like, I love it. And then um, she kind of responded back. I was like, hey, let's talk about dance. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and But this it took like a year. And then finally for my birthday, she gifted me um, lessons at her studio. And by that point... I was also on this uh, healing journey. I'd come out of kind of a depression and had some breakthrough and healing, and I was ready to um, kind of take risks again. Hmm. Um, I feel like I it's very comfortable for me to just defer to the people that I love. Um, like with Michael and with our family and our kids, it's like, my center of gravity is in them. Yeah, you, I mean, you've got a, y'all have a pretty full life. It would be, it, seem, it seems it would be easy to just be like, well, that's enough. Yeah, it is. And, and it was, and it is. Like, I, I love our family. I love our big, full life. Uh, but I just realized that I, I was actually hiding. Yeah, that's what I, I didn't mean like that's enough, like, Look, looking at it from the other direction, not like mm-hmm. that's enough, like, yes, that is enough, but you can also hide in something that you define as enough and justify the hiding through the definition of enough. Yes, 100%. And that was really part of the breakthrough that I experienced in counseling is was the realization that I, by like having this big full life around me, I get to not do any kind of inner work. Mm. I get to mm. look like an amazing self-sacrificial person, but actually like I have no idea what I really want and what I really want to bring into the world and what I want to, um, create. And it was like, I can hide in that so easily. And I had, and so for me, it was a huge vulnerable step to take a class to acknowledge, Ooh, I do actually still love to dance. Yeah. And the first lesson, it was like, boom. The amount of joy that I felt just in this one little baby lesson <laughs> was just incredible. It was incredible. And I, it was like I reconnected with that ancient part of me yeah. that is made for this. And, um, and because we're at, but it, it all works out, right? Because if I had tried to do this in a different season... Like earlier, hmm. when the kids were younger, or we're, I was still having all those babies and nursing and toddlers, it just it wouldn't have worked. So I see a beautiful 
Yeah, or it could have poisoned itself. I mean, you could have had the same experience. You could have gone to the dance class, had that spark of joy, that memory of the ancient. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, you can't because you've got young kids at home. Because you're going out and dancing till two, three in the morning sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's the culture. Uh, That's the culture. That's the culture. You're absolutely right, though. But if you had tried to do that then, it wouldn't have worked. Your family would have fallen apart. You would have either resented your family or the dance. Right. But it's like you now had the opportunity to step out of your enough boundary. Right. And there was the room for it. There was space for it. Michael's super supportive. But you're absolutely right, because I look back now, because I'm part of this world, and it's a whole world. Mm -hmm. This type of dance and this um, culture around social dancing and Latin dancing, I mean, there's a whole world, and I didn't, I've never been a part of that until now. And if I had... If I had chosen to hold on to dance and not see what else might be, I would have absolutely got sucked into that world when I was so vulnerable and so dumb. <laughs> like, I, I mean, it's, it's not... So you're a, feeling thankful for the decision I'm that you made. so thankful that I'm re-engaging with it now when yeah. I know who I am, when I... And this was the most powerful piece of me coming back to dance is that... Uh, you know, because at, at the end of my dance experience when I was younger, some really negative, unfruitful dynamics started to happen within a company that I danced for. And I, so that was kind of made it easier to set it down and walk away from it for mm. a time. But and it also scared me. Was to, that relationally? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just, things got messy within this dance company. And... So that also frightened me to go back to it. Um, But again, in this conversation with God, he said, back then you were dancing for love. You were dancing to get love. But now you're dancing from love. And it's completely different. Hmm. To come to You were dancing to get love. Was that about attention or finding a partner no it was about attention affection praise acknowledgement appreciation um all kinds of emotional buckets yeah that could get filled by um performing Hmm. and what a fantastic switch to make yeah it's so different hmm it's like I get to come to the experience not having, I'm not taking from it. You're not coming, you're not going to it wanting something, but you're going to it. I don't need it. it to fill me. Yeah. I'm there to bring fullness to this moment, to yeah. this experience. Um, and I'm so thankful to re-engage with this, that, this culture now. I think, I mean, I think some, I, I would just want to, there's something about, <clears throat> the way that we grow as humans and the, the phases that we go through. I mean, that's, there's like a wisdom in that. And you can't come by that through any act of will or effort. You, you have to just literally find yourself there. I mean, I, I felt the same way about playing music when I was younger. I, you know, I would show up and play a show and, and I just really wanted validation. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, come see me so that I feel like I'm good or as good as the other people around, or as good as the people that I idolize and listen to. 
it's like I wanted something out of that experience. Mm-hmm. Not totally. I mean, there's lots of other aspects to it, but that was right. something that I felt, which is different than I have felt bits of playing my music, like showing up and saying, I have something. You can like it or not like it. I don't know, but it's worth it for me because I have right. something to, to play right. that I want to play. <clears throat> right. And I haven't found myself fully secure in that necessarily, but there's no other way to come by that except through time. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I've seen it. I feel like I've got to see him in both of you guys in different ways. Like, you know, like Matt, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, it's like, as you came through your divorce, it was something that was, Oops. you know, really, um, I don't know, it was really powerful to see you also grow and like, you know, uh, just that vulnerability and openness, you know, I think there was like a lot of stuff there that was really, hmm. um, I know, powerful and beautiful that you could not, you cannot get through any other means than suffering, you know? Hmm. And then like, for, you know, Allison, it's like, you know, we're talking about the depression and counseling and stuff like that. It's like, it's like, it was cool for me to see you find something, mm-hmm. you know, something that was yours. You know, I think we share a lot of things and a lot of desires and wants and that kind of stuff. But I feel like what, seeing you go through that process, specifically about a two or three year process, I mean, it's not that clean, but you know, right. um, like you found not just with dance, but just in general, you seem to have found something that was yours. And I feel like that is more representative, representative in dance, but it's not dance itself. You know, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. and, and to see you experience that through dance has been really, uh, been really cool to see that expression come yeah. through that place. So, but, yeah. it, but I don't think you, I, I don't know. It'd be hard to say, like, would you still have that? I don't know that, that deepness that you experience without all the suffering that you had before. Right. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I was thinking about it in terms of time, but I think it really is more about suffering, hmm. which I think is a, I, a theme that I keep finding myself coming back to throughout my entire life, that mm-hmm. there is just absolute necessary, rich meaning that comes through suffering. Yeah. And I, I'd like to maybe talk about that for a little bit because I think I have found that when I've brought up that concept, people think of suffering as torture mm-hmm. or war at the hands of evil people. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's what I mean when I say <laughs> the word suffering. No. I mean, I think part of suffering is um, delayed gratification. It's discipline. Mm-hmm. Part of it is making a difficult choice to, like you did, put something that you loved that was part of you, that was ancient in you, put it down Mm -hmm. in order to receive something else. And that is a form of suffering. Giving something up, Mm -hmm. like fasting, yeah, is a form of suffering. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it's necessarily even about pain. Mm -hmm. It's partly pain, maybe. I mean, pain is certainly involved. Mm -hmm. I think loss is a part of it. Right. I mean, you can have pain without suffering. Yeah. I mean, in, I mean, to relate it back to birth, like this is, this is one of the coaching tools of doulas. It's like we distinguish there are oftentimes when you choose pain because there's a benefit to it. For instance, when you work out. True. You're choosing pain. 
because you know that there's a benefit from that. Um, but when you add emotional distress to the pain, that's suffering. Hmm. And so with in birth, we try and um, help normalize, like you can be in pain and not suffer, like not be emotionally distressed because of the pain. Anyway, so suffering is emotion. It's like emotional, psychological distress mm-hmm. and dissonance. Ooh, that's a good word. Oh, I think I was trying to, in my mind, tie what you were saying back to uh, suffering a decision, like your decision to let go of dance for a time. Mm-hmm. You suffered that decision, and in that decision, there is a dissonance. Two things at odds. Yeah, but there's also hope. Also hope. Like, ooh. This As is- often there isn't suffering. Mm-hmm. If there isn't hope, is it? it's not exactly suffering. I mean, I felt like in that moment, what empowered me to make that decision was that the promise of there's something more. Mm-hmm. There is something more. You don't know what it is. I can't give it to you all at once. I can't let you know. I can't tell you now, Allison, at 23 years old, that you're going to get married and you're going to have five kids. Because <laughs> if I would have known that, I would have freaked the, the out fuck of you. out. Like, like you. what? No. No thanks. I'm going Where's back the to exit dance. ramp? <laughs> you know, like I couldn't have known that. But, but I had this, I felt like I truly had this promise of there's something more. The price to pay for that more is suffering the uncertainty of not knowing Mm -hmm. and setting down this one thing you've always relied on for the gratification, the the affirmation, the validation. It's like, ooh, set that down. You don't quite have something else to hang on to yet, but if if you're willing to endure Mm -hmm. that psychological distress of, okay, I'm going after something more. I don't know what it is it will be there. And that's the hope that I had that empowered that willingness. And you found your hope fulfilled. Yeah. Do you, do you still receive validations? Some of the things that you had wanted before, do you receive them now when you dance? Yeah. But in a different way. Now it's, I mean, I was just reflecting on this last week. Now what I love about dance is that I experience, like I work hard at it and I'm learning and I'm getting good. And it's not about anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's not about like, it's not about anyone else's approval or applause. It's like, I am, I'm investing in my own hard work and I'm experiencing myself being better. And that's when like the rocket ship takes off mm-hmm. in terms of like people's gift and talent transforming. I think as long as you're using your gifts and talents in a way that is like reflective of the validation that you seek or mm-hmm. the, the, the versions of that that you seek to imitate, mm-hmm. you will always be somehow phony mm-hmm. once it comes from something that, those things don't matter to comes from something inside. Right. All of a sudden the rocket, like I said, the rocket ship takes off. Yeah. Hmm. Well, definitely it's taken off for us. I, I, I know I've seen it. <laughs> this, uh, one of the, one of the guys, the, uh, she dances with, uh, Joel, 
you know, he was, he's like a really good dancer and he was kind of commending Allison on her dancing. And, and it's just funny to listen to Allison talk about like, Oh, you know, early on the good dancers were doing or up there. And then to see her like kind of be up there with them too. But it's, it's something that, you know, she's worked really hard at. And also that other people that love to dance also like, Oh, you can work with me, you mm-hmm. know, like, and, and so there's this joy that like, even hearing him talk about it too, it's like, it's like, yeah, I really love dancing with Allison because she, you know, kind of goes into it. And I, I just really thought yeah. that was really cool. That, uh, yeah. It gives other people joy whenever you appreciate something together like that. I think that's cool. Right. There's, there's a super fun, I mean, in the, in the social world, it happens all everywhere. Like just a little social dance culture <laughs> that like the best dancers always dance right by the DJ, wherever the music's happening, the best dancers are right there. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I guess that's just <clears throat> the source or whatever. So, you know, source of the vibrations. Yeah. It's like, sort of the vibe. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. So when I first started, I mean, I'm like petrified, like having near anxiety attacks, like just to get on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, okay, on the edges, stay in the back. Like, I just want to be not in the middle of it. That was a year and a half ago. And now, I mean, at least in Austin, like, I feel like, yeah, I'll dance with anybody here. Mm-hmm. And I dance all over the floor. Like, oh, I'm, some people I'm dancing in the front. Some people I'm dancing on the back. I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, I ha- but I know in myself, I see the transformation of... I'm not good enough. I'm really scared to do this, to walk in a room and be like, let's have fun. Yeah. And also try new things. I think that's been, that's cool too, is, is you're not afraid. To, I, I just keep thinking of like the guy who picked you up and did that thing. And then you, he's like, oh, well, next time do this. And you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, keep learning. And you nailed it. <laughs> you know, yeah. but there is still, but I do still suffer in the process. And this is why I feel like it's so healthy for me to be engaged with this because like the newest thing is that I'm having performance anxiety attacks mm-hmm. before performances. You are. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because you said a second ago, I used to feel like I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm too nervous. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you said, now I feel, and you didn't say I am good enough. I'm not nervous. I can do this. Mm-hmm. You said, let's have fun. It's like the switch was not to the opposite of those things. It wasn't about switching those things to the other side. It was like mm-hmm. about letting something else come in right. that pushed those things out so they weren't as important and controlling and defining. Right. So it's like now, it's not like they're gone. Right. So now you're experiencing them to yeah. some degree. Yeah, it's, it's related to specifically, though, to performing. Mm. Like for me, social dancing... And actually performing in front of an audience are two really different experiences. And the anxiety is related to the performance piece. Yeah. And I've, but I've performed hundreds of times, literally through my, throughout my childhood. And so it feels really foreign to me to be struggling with this now. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, it feels like this is the next thing. This is like the next step of whatever. This is it. I'm realizing now what I just described when I described about like letting go of dance the first time in order mm-hmm. to get the more. I still kind of feel like that. Like I don't know what I'm, where I'm going. 
Hmm. Like, I don't know where this dance journey is leading. I don't know what the, there's no specific outcome in mind. Right. I just feel like I'm, I need to do this now. And here I go. That's so wonderful. <laughs> and here That's I cool. go. It's so weird. Uh-huh. I'm so, but I'm super. Well, also, thankful. Allison's not a risk taker either. Oh, so, I hate to take a risk. like, I'm the crazy risk taker <laughs> in our family. And uh, Allison's the sane, keep everybody on the ground and keep us all safe. Uh, <laughs> and I'm risk. like, jump off the cliff. <laughs> She's like, uh, this is really nice right here. <laughs> so Why don't she, you appreciate what we have? Yeah, Michael? exactly. <laughs> but she saved us many times with that wisdom. <laughs> uh-huh. mm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, just think of what it would have happened if, if you did. That's true. <laughs> yeah. You would have blown up Medici a billion times had it not been for me. <laughs> now on the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, you invited me to come dancing with you, like when you first started getting back into dance, because my sister had been going. Oh, oh yeah. I know. And so we were talking about that. And you're like, I'm going to go. I haven't been in forever. I'm going to go. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, I want to go because Michael won't go. <laughs> I, no, I didn't say I'll go because Michael won't go. You said, well, you go because Michael won't go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I really wanted to, but I didn't. You didn't. It's okay. I, I still well, love you. I know you do. <laughs> well, I was just sitting here thinking, like, what if I'd been going with you the last year and a half? Would I be a good dancer now? You would be an amazing dancer. Who, who, who would know? Yeah. You'd be performing with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> that would be a crazy alternate reality. <laughs> I would love to know how to dance and to dance well. The great thing about dance is that it's accessible always. I mean, You I always just, have the tools. It's there. Like, at our studio, I mean, it's so beautiful. Like, these... There are so many old people, like old people dancing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is, and that's again, like, I think it links back to the ancient, to the spiritual for me. Like for me, I really believe that dancing is an eternal activity. Mm-hmm. Like it will never stop. And we can access it whenever we want. It's such an amazing thing. It's like a form of, well, it's often described as a form of expression, but I think it's a form of communication. Mm, 100%. In a way that can't be achieved any other way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's right. almost in every culture, too. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like whether you Universal. go ancient, you know, even dancing before the gods or, you know, uh, as a community, you know, there's, it's, uh, you, know, uh, you know, David dancing before the Lord, you know, naked, you know, it's like, you know, that you see dance as, as an expression mm-hmm. you know, in so many different And I think cultures. we all dance. Mm-hmm. Whether you say you don't dance or not like you <laughs> would say that you dance at some point you're like ooh, you know you feel something and you move uh-huh. your shoulders or mm-hmm. if, yeah it's you skip absolutely your feet. part of humanity mm-hmm. um yeah i think when we you know how you conceive of what it means to dance um we have feelings about ooh, i'm a dancer or i'm not a dancer or i'm a musician i'm not a musician i'm a creative i'm not a creative but the fact is we all move and that's what dance is. And we move because we're literally never not moving. There's this very moment, like blood is flowing through our body. In we a can rhythm. be <laughs> sitting perfectly Seriously. still. Seriously. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we have a we have we have a flow within us. And um, another fascinating part is that music activates the motor cortex. Mm-hmm. So when we hear music 
it, our brain literally is like move. So mm. you connect the music with your body and it's yeah. like an experience of oneness that is when you're aware of it and present to yeah. it is super powerful. And I experience this really intensely when I hear drums. Hmm. And I think this is also like a human thing. Like, not like, not those ones, <laughs> but the, you know. Like the, <laughs> Nobody can see my hand motions, but I'm like, you know, in, in Latin music, the tumbao, the congos, the. Ooh, tumbao. That's a fun tumbao. word. Tumbao. I know, it's a great word. Um, or uh, also marching bands. Marching bands. Marching bands make me cry. Oh, man. That. I have just totally negative just the drums. feelings about nothing bands. about the marching. Oh, I do just love the, the marching bands. I always regretted not playing the um, uh, what is it? The guy that has the four drums. Oh yeah, uh-huh. the quad. I think yeah. that's what it's called. They always did the coolest things, and then the stick goes that way, and you know they cross the arms, and then doing all that. Da 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 da. Those were awesome. Yeah. I played French horn. I was just like, yeah. Toot, you're cooler toot. than me. <laughs> toot, toot. I will have you know the French horn is a beautiful instrument. I believe you. I do. Oh, but no, like the, the deep drum, like the African drums. The, yeah. Or every culture has some big deep drum. Mm-hmm. Well, and we use it as a sound effect to like signify a lot of things. Like in a movie, you, you want some good solid foreshadowing, a drum beat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's the like call to war. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the call to action, mm-hmm. the call to movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The call to dance. <laughs> the call to death. Well, you're talking about <laughs> music uh, activating the motor cortex. I was reading that <coughs> there's fairly well-documented uh, theories or, or, or proven theories, I suppose, that before we developed language, we developed uh, singing mm-hmm. and that just like uh, some mammals like orcas and dolphins communicated through singing before we communicated with spoken coded language. That makes sense. And there's like a lot of biological evidence for it based upon how our, uh, like our vocal cords and the resonating bodies within our heads, how they developed and the, the nerves. So there's a, a nerve that runs to your tongue. So your tongue's a huge it's a big muscle, and it's very complicated the way that it works, um, just like the vocal cords. And it's ran by this nerve that comes, I think, through a hole in the back of the um, the skull or something. And so the bigger the nerve, the bigger the thing it's feeding. And okay. so you can judge how big the nerve is in like a, 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 a skeleton <clears throat> or a, a fossilized skeleton based upon the size of this hole. Mm-hmm. And um, the hole has... What is it? The hole has always been very large in humans. Hmm. So we've always had this ability. No, or it got larger. That's mm-hmm. what it was. Um, hmm. So the theory is, I'm not explaining it very well, but that we sang before we talked. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because we sing all the time. It's like It's like a form of thinking. Well, you can think about babies and stuff like that. You know, it's they like coo. they have like the coo. And yeah. they, they sort of babble a little bit, but it's almost more sing-songy, you know. And, and most cultures, mothers take a sing-songy tone when they're communicating hmm. to their infants. We do it now. Some languages are based on it. I think Chinese is tonal in that a word will mean a specific thing when it's set at a certain pitch and mm-hmm. a different thing when it's at a different pitch. 
and something like 70% of Chinese people have perfect pitch. They can, you can tell them to sing a certain note and they can do it with no reference. Whereas something like 20% of Western people have that. That's fascinating. I have no idea what that even means. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I could say, Hey, Allison sing C, the note C Uh and you can't do it. No. I, I can't do it either. C. Yeah. Well, you just, there's a random note. I have a guitar on the, the wall. I could play it. But uh, there are people that I can say sing C and they can sing it or B flat or A sharp. Or I could say, um, you know, the uh, the engine's giving off a whirring noise. And they could be like, oh, yeah, it's a B flat. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Just like we can identify colors. They, mm-hmm. can, I, they can identify pitches. Hmm. Wow. But it's teachable. Yeah. Is, is the kind of like the takeaway from uh, the the example of Chinese people who speak in a total language mm-hmm. are much more likely to have perfect pitch mm-hmm. because they're just exposed to it. They have to use it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's like being a kid that didn't have good pitch and <laughs> it's just always getting the words wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like some of the words just have completely separate meanings. Like mm-hmm. it, it's got to be great for puns in that language. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, a friend of mine, John Pardue, was trying to teach me that, like, ball, ball, ball. And I was like, huh? <laughs> what, what did you just do? Were you speaking Mandarin? Yeah, Mandarin. It's like, it like, it like something I get out. I don't even know what I'm saying. But it's like, ball, ball, ball. <laughs> mm. it, was, it was like, yeah, those are all three different words. He told me what each one meant. I was mm-hmm. just like, man, I would just screw everything up. Yeah, it's wild. I'd try to say, hey, dude, what's up? And then he was like, yo, asshole. You know, <laughs> that's my <probably> way <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you're dancing now. I'm dancing now. Mm-hmm. Also, congratulations. We made it to a lull. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is the first awkward silence. <laughs> it's here. What do y'all do? Uh, well, you wait. Yeah, you just gotta wait for the next thing. Yeah. Because-